from the Western Riverside Council of Governments. I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CODcast. Innovation continues to shift and change the world we live in. Changing technology has altered the way organizations function and prepare for the future, and they must be mindful and diligent in their efforts to understand what innovation means for them now and how it can affect them in the long run. Today, we are pleased to welcome Jim Medaffer, president of Medaffer Enterprises, to the podcast. So Jim, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, it is my honor, and thank you for having me. Of course. So to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your career, both in the public and private sector? Absolutely. Yeah. So I call myself a recovering politician, <laughs> only because I did spend a number of years at the city of San Diego. I okay. served two terms okay. on the San Diego City Council. Uh, we have term limits there, so you just have two terms. Uh, and during that time, uh, I was uh, honored to be very involved with the League of California Cities, mm-hmm. where I served on the board of directors for actually nine years. Oh, wow. uh, and during that time, I uh, served as an officer and ended up being elected as president of the League of California Cities and traveled all over California, mm-hmm. uh, representing the 480-plus cities that uh, California enjoys. And it was a great opportunity to really get to learn the issues that are important to both the large urban cities mm-hmm. and more importantly to the smaller rural cities, mm-hmm. and, you know, which make up a lot more of the cities in California. Yeah, definitely. So what was that transition like from going from working with the League of Cities to now being the president of Medaffer Enterprises? Well, it was pretty easy because uh, ever since I was in my early 20s, uh, I've always been a serial entrepreneur okay. uh, with different businesses. <laughs> uh-huh. I've... Uh, Started and uh, sold a number of companies over the years. Uh, and uh, after I left office, I wasn't really sure where I was going to go and what mm-hmm. I was going to do. But uh, the phone started ringing from people that uh, had an interest in me helping them out. Uh, I started up a uh, automated external defibrillator program called Public Access for Defibrillation while I was on the city council. And uh, that's AEDs, as mm-hmm. we see in airports mm-hmm. today. And nobody knew in the early 2000s what an AED was. Uh, they were expensive and really out of reach. Uh, I endeavored to really make them available to the public and, and all over and work to get legislation passed statewide and federally to make them more mandated mm-hmm. uh, because they save lives. And that was just one of the things. All of a sudden, that company, a company that makes AEDs, called and said, hey, could you help train our sales force on how to work with government? Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm, that's an interesting idea. So yeah. one thing led to another, and I started doing things like that. Okay, awesome. And then have you always kind of had an affinity for innovation and technologically advanced items? Is that something that you've always been interested in, or is it something that kind of grew when you were on San Diego City Council? No, I've always been known as a tech geek to <laughs> my family and close friends. Uh, probably back in my early teen years, uh, I built a uh, – uh, this was in the days well before uh, – anything existed but mainframe computers, mm-hmm. uh, built a computer terminal where we had the, the old acoustic coupler where you would stick the telephone receiver into these two cups and it would talk to a mainframe. You're uh, totally speaking right over yeah, my head Well, right now. those are things where, uh, you know, as a student in uh, junior high school mm-hmm. and, and in high school, I was able to do things like that. And it was kind of a, a fun experience. Uh, and it just really, I've always just had an interest in whether it be telephones wireless, 
uh, you know, ham radio, mm-hmm. all of those things. And, you know, where I see us going today into the future mm-hmm. uh, and the pace to which technology is moving uh, really excites me and yeah. shows me that there's going to be great future ahead. So I think kind of building off of that, all of us have really felt the effects of automation or just technology advancements in general. So in your opinion and your experience, what do you think are going to be three of the upcoming innovations that are really going to affect how society functions, maybe how we relate to one another in the next 20-ish years? Oh, boy. Well, there's no question. We are in a period of change today mm-hmm. unlike anything we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Folks go, come on, what do you mean by that? And I'm serious. If you're a newly elected official in California right now, uh, or you've been in office for some time, just the rapid deployment of technology has changed everything. Let's look at five to even certainly 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft Mm -hmm. did not exist as an example. They have revolutionized transportation Mm -hmm. as we know it. Uh, When you look at who the largest hotel operator is today, it's not Hilton, it's not Sheraton. It's Airbnb or HomeAway or VRBO, (laughs) and they've changed the dynamic. And what has enabled this is, frankly, the Internet. Mm. The Internet has made an incredible change. And let's look back. I mean, the Internet, really, nobody even knew what the World Wide Web was Mm -hmm. in 1993. It was just coming out. Well, that's not even 30 years ago. So now when we see how fast things have come along and how quickly Uber has come into place, uh, we see this technological revolution with wireless communication. I have a common line that I use that we're going to see a sea change in transportation, mm-hmm. unlike anything since Henry Ford invented the assembly line. So whether it's transportation, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. wireless technology, those are areas where we're going to see rapid change mm-hmm. and they're going to change how we govern. Mm-hmm. They're going to change our quality of life. They're going to change how we operate day to day as citizens and how operate how government operates as well. Yeah, definitely. So in my research before the podcast, I was looking up um, what Medafra Enterprises does, the areas that you guys are involved in, and smart cities kept coming up. Yeah. So can you describe a little bit about what smart cities, what, it, what does that mean? And how does that impact communities? How does it impact the people who live in those communities? What does that really look like? Well, I talk about the concept of smart cities, and I frankly like to call them connected communities okay. because... You know, smart cities is a marketing was a marketing mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. but smart cities are connected communities. You know, we've seen them become widely popular over the last couple of years, and really the promise there is that with the right technology, smart cities can improve everything from public safety, citizen engagement, economic development, transportation, and do all of these things and more at a lower cost. Hmm. And I I think the underlying issue for that is where I was saying earlier that we're at a special time in our history. You know, wireless technology is exploding. The shared economy that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, like the Airbnbs or the Uber, you know, that stuff was the stuff of dreams. I mean, driverless vehicles, you know, since the early 30s and the advent of the automobile, Mm -hmm. people have been trying to figure out a way to automate it. Well, now today, because of computer technology, we're going to see that become a reality. And it's no longer a matter of, of if, mm-hmm. but it's really when. Mm-hmm. And that's the big change that we're seeing. Every major auto manufacturer racing to be first to market. Technology companies, China with billion-dollar investments, artificial intelligence is 
going faster than anybody ever expected. These are all things that are happening before us right now. And the question is, are our local leaders at local city level, at regional governments like WR Cobb, mm-hmm. is our state, are we ready for this type of stuff to happen? Mm-hmm. Because it's going to happen. The HOV lanes of today are the autonomous lanes of tomorrow. You go beyond that, say in the next, and people laugh at me when I mm-hmm. say this, but I predict within 10, certainly 20 years, it'll probably be illegal to drive on the freeway. It will only be allowed if you are in a vehicle that is autonomous or has autonomous capability. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't drive on the local streets or off-road or the ranch roads or the rural areas. But to get more efficiency, for example, out of the 91 or some of the corridors in mm-hmm. the WR Cog area, we can't just keep pouring more concrete. Mm-hmm. But we do know that through carpooling, we do know through use of transit, first mile, last mile, or the first five mile, last five mile, integrating that with the shared mobility world, mm-hmm. that we're going to get more utilization out of our existing infrastructure. We know that if we could take the amount of space between cars right now and make that down to just inches because of computers mm-hmm. controlling the vehicles, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot more lane capacity. Mm-hmm. This is how we can improve the throughput and still give people the comfort of their individual pods. Not everybody will move into transit. In fact, something else that I say that is controversial with some, <laughs> I say except for fixed rail and the main lines, okay. transit as we know it today may be extinct 25 years from now. Hmm. And uh, what? What are you talking about? And I said, well, all you have to do is just look at that bus that goes by that's empty. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cheaper to give that person an account with their smartphone or even give them a smartphone and say, call up shared mobility? because there's a pool service that will take you to where you need to go. Hmm. Those are where I see technology stepping ahead of what we're still, many people are still stuck mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah. I think you have a really unique and valuable insight because not a lot of people think the way that you do in the sense of long-term projecting and even being able to mentally comprehend a your mind around these technological advancements of 20 years from now, 25 years from now, maybe not eradicating what today looks like transportation. And so it's really fascinating to talk to you about that. Um, I think that from the public sector's perspective, a lot of governments are known to be more risk adverse, maybe a little bit slower to adopt these innovative technological advancements. And so what do you think are ways that we can help cities and local governments or local entities really kind of jump on the bandwagon in the best way possible that's going to benefit our communities? They first need to recognize that change is happening Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's happening quicker than they might ever expect. Uh, I use frequently an example Uh, where I show an intersection uh, in New York City in 1900. Uh, And it's a crowded intersection, 5th and Broadway, I believe. And it's bumper-to-bumper horse and carriage. (laughs) And it's just, you know, what you would expect New York City to look like. Right. Then I show the next slide. It's that same intersection in 1913, 13 years later. Mm -hmm. That same intersection is still bumper-to-bumper, but it's bumper-to-bumper cars. Not bumper-to-bumper horse and carriage. So you go, what the heck happened in Mm -hmm. just those 13 years? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what happened. The advent of the automobile changed everything. And horse and carriage went out the window, and in came the car. Hmm. And if you can 
see things happening that quick in mm-hmm. just 13 years. Imagine now with microchips that operate faster than anything ever dreamt of, how fast things are changing. And that's where I say government needs to recognize that they are going to have to stay ahead of the curve on this stuff. Now, you're right. They will be responding. Mm-hmm. Uh, they already are. I'll give you the example. I talk a lot about wireless. You know, wireless and 5G, it's all in the news these days. We hear about it. Well, until government gets the heck out of the way when it comes to 5G deployment, we're not going to see the deployment of these smart vehicles and the Internet of Things that we would otherwise want to see. Mm-hmm. The growth in wireless alone is mind-boggling mm-hmm. in what's happened. So we've seen that major carriers are now starting to talk about 5G. And where we are today, we are at about 2.3 internet-connected devices per person. The explosion between now and 2021 is unprecedented. Uh, first of all, as we sit here today, 80% of all 911 calls come from a mobile device. Mm-hmm. All right. Less than 50% of the American public has a landline any longer. Mm-hmm. I would say most people listening to this probably don't have a home <laughs> phone anymore, mm-hmm. that they use their cell phone. Well, the infrastructure that exists today is all based on that copper going to everybody's home. Mm-hmm. But yet now we're relying on something called wireless. But yet the antennas have not kept up with the demand. Hmm. And if we're going to expect to continue to get the service that we desire, and instead, just like if you've ever been in a crowded stadium and you try to send a text (laughs) of a picture and it never goes out, that's where we are headed right now if local governments don't get out of the way when it comes to wireless deployment. They don't blame them. They've been trying to make money off, hey, private companies want to come in and put this attachment on their city-owned infrastructure, mm-hmm. I look at it differently. I look at it local government getting free infrastructure installed by the private sector. <laughs> when I think about it that way, and so we strongly support a uh, nonprofit called WIN, Wireless Infrastructure Now, uh, and their whole goal is to really educate folks at the local level why it's much better to think of wireless infrastructure as a new infrastructure, just Mm -hmm. like water lines, just like sewer lines, because it's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's infrastructure that helps us with our technology. Mm -hmm. And some of the other stats just to share with you is that 60% of all mobile cellular traffic right now is Mm -hmm. video. People watching YouTube, Mm -hmm. people, and you've heard about people cutting the cord cutting cable, mm-hmm. well, they're starting to use more and more wireless. You've seen the Verizon or the Sprint ads. Subscribe and get free Netflix or get <laughs> free Hulu. Mm-hmm. And that's where things are going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 33% of all smartphone users are using their device for navigation. But the growth in wearable devices will be 18 times where we are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go from 2.3 internet-connected devices per person to over 46 billion devices sensors, actuators, and those things will all be connected to this infrastructure. Hmm. 50% of all the devices out there will support the Internet of Things. Think of water meters, gas meters, electric meters, Mm -hmm. traffic lights, video on traffic lights. All of these things end up getting bolted onto this wireless infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a reason why we need to do everything we can to really support the greater deployment of that And this is especially important in the area 
of, of social justice. I mean, there's a lot of folks in some of our more economically depressed communities that, you know, we see the growing share of uh, low-income Americans uh, can only access the internet from a smartphone, mm-hmm. which is connected to this wireless infrastructure. So again, I talk about this in the sense that it is the coming thing that we need to stay ahead of mm-hmm. in order for us to understand as autonomous vehicles come in and everything else, we need to be in position to make mm-hmm. this all work. Right. I think it's really interesting because as you're describing it, it seems like there, like you're saying, there's this new platform, new structure and framework of how society is going to function and interrelate to one another, um, whether that be through the private or public sector. And so I'm curious to hear your perspective on a more practical note. What do you think will happen if local government entities like resist kind of this technological advancement wave that's coming? Well, I don't think they'll see the investments in their community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I talk about a lot uh, on being a smart and connected community, as I said earlier, is to create new opportunities for engagement and problem solving for better shared outcomes. I talk about an economic development driver. It's really designed to grow the economy. Mm-hmm. And that's where, to your earlier question, I say cities need to have a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every city's different. You know, and that's frankly one of the things that we do for cities when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, helping them figure out what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, you, you know, what works in Wildemar, for example, is not going to be the same thing that works in Indio mm-hmm. or, you know, any other uh, place because every city is unique, just as those cities mm-hmm. are unique, so are their plans. Now, do I think multiple cities can work together mm-hmm. uh, to have a unified front? Absolutely. The public, you know, they don't know if they're driving between <laughs> Artesia or Cerritos, mm-hmm. you know, when they go through, they have no clue. Mm-hmm. But they do know that they want to be able to drive through synchronized traffic lights. Mm-hmm. They do know that they can't stand it when a light turns green and then right as they get to the next one, it turns red. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to keep moving. Uh, you know, when it comes to getting on a train or Metrolink, they would like to have one app that makes all of that happen ubiquitously for them. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about, about being smart and connected. Yeah. And cities can plan in that regard uh, and set a blueprint, which is typically what we do. We create a smart city blueprint for jurisdictions mm-hmm. that then give them things. And this might start off with technology and data to you know improve service delivery and customer satisfaction. Uh, but it, it could be any number of these things that ultimately uh, using you know technology and advanced data analytic tools uh, you know to grow the economy, as I said, those are the types of things that happen. Uh, I think cities have to start off thinking what outcomes do you want to achieve mm-hmm. and what's important? Uh, what do we need to put in place? to achieve those outcomes? Mm -hmm. And then how do we prioritize this stuff in a constrained environment? Those Mm -hmm. are typical things that we say. And then they've got to ask who's responsible for various activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a line that I use a lot that a lot of cities right now will buy the latest shiny object that comes along. Mm -hmm. You see trash cans that will report when they're full, (laughs) you know, things because they get sold things. But is that really what we want to do? And... uh, And how are we measuring progress? Mm -hmm. So by coming together with a plan, cities are able to then say, from a centralized perspective, this is what makes sense for us. We don't have all the money in the world. Here's our priorities. This is what Mm -hmm. we're going to spend money on first. Here's what we're going to do next. And typically, cities that plan that way truly are well on their way to becoming a true, smart, and connected community. Mm -hmm. 
With all the new technological advancements coming on the horizon, what's something that has gotten a lot of attention that may not actually be what it's um, being advertised as, if that makes sense? Well, let's talk autonomous vehicles. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they work some places, but they're not the end all yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be a period of time for transition, but it's happening quickly. Mm-hmm. Mark my words. Uh, it's happening very quickly. Uh, right now, autonomous vehicles work great in Phoenix, Arizona, or they would work great in Southern California, but they may not work good where the snow is covering roads and yep. they can't see the lines uh, unless those streets are mapped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unless the LIDAR and everything else can see through that snow and mm-hmm. see obstacles and discern. So there's still a ways to go. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's happening is they're being tested. They're actually in progress now. I mean, Waymo, which is owned by Google, mm-hmm. uh, is operating an autonomous vehicle taxi service right now in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. They will likely become a very aggressive competitor to mm-hmm. companies like Uber and Lyft. But guess what? You go to Las Vegas, Lyft is right now operating an autonomous program as well. Mm-hmm. And you'll see right on the app, you maybe get picked up if you want by an autonomous vehicle. Now, there's a driver in there, mm-hmm. and they're there as a safety driver, but they're testing this stuff. That is trippy. <laughs> and that is trippy, but it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And they're gathering tons of data. And with every mile driven, they improve their technology. They improve what they know mm-hmm. and build on the last thing. And it uses artificial intelligence and all kinds of algorithms that ultimately mm-hmm. will get this vehicle to operate much safer mm-hmm. than any of us human drivers. I mean, when you think about it, and I didn't touch on this earlier when we talk about the big reason why I think autonomous vehicles are going to be so much a boon in our society over the next 20 to 30 years is just the fact that last year, I think we had what, between 40 and 45,000 deaths mm-hmm. on U.S. highways. Yeah. You know, I tell people that's the equivalent of a Southwest Airlines jet crashing fully loaded every other day. Yeah. Now, we know that would never be acceptable, but it's happening today on our roads. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the big talk where that one pedestrian got killed in Arizona from an autonomous vehicle that was in test mode. And uh, that was very sad. And nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. But yet nobody mentioned the fact that every single day in the United States, 16 pedestrians are killed by human drivers mm. on the road. So the goal of autonomous vehicles is really to bring that fatality rate mm-hmm. to zero. Yeah. And that's the promise mm-hmm. that's out there. Yeah. is to eliminate the fatality rate. Definitely. I think that some, sometimes people approach tech, technology with their heels a little bit kind of dragging with the um, with the questioning perspective of, is this actually going to make my life better or is it just going to make it different? Like, how does it actually, can, is this actually going to project a good outcomes? So what would you say to people who drag their feet a little bit? Like, do you think that technology is going to make our lives easier and better and more convenient or do you think it's just going to make it different? I would answer them with probably a few areas that we focus on when it comes to smart city issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, defeating the digital divide. That's an important issue right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Everybody should have equal access to technology. Mm-hmm. And we don't today. Uh, those that have it, and then there's those that don't. There's areas, especially in rural areas, especially in the WR COG service territory, mm-hmm. where there's just, you know, they're on satellite internet. And uh, we need to figure out ways to get them that speed. Uh, cybersecurity and public safety are very important. Mm-hmm. Smart cities focus on that. Uh, social mobility, and I mentioned economic development, again, 
another important thing to focus on. Uh, I mentioned already the connected and autonomous transportation, huge piece and a big part of the WR COG uh, footprint is mm-hmm. transportation. Um, education and workforce development, what are we doing to make sure that we are preparing a workforce for tomorrow mm-hmm. and doing everything we can? That's mm-hmm. part of a smart city agenda. And then uh, something just as equally important we haven't really talked about is you know the environmental impact and sustainability. Uh, doing what we can. I mean, p- people talk about climate action plans and what they require mm-hmm. or moving to community choice, energy. Those types of things are all important pieces here. Smart cities connect all of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think everything that you're saying from autonomous vehicles to um, cybersecurity, it's all long-term strategic planning of how do we best prepare for what's coming. And like you're saying, be on the front end of the curve so that our residents and community members are receiving the best, um, the best care and the best access to that technology. And so how do you think Western Riverside specifically, how can we best prepare with the projected growth? Because we're supposed to grow mm-hmm. a dramatic amount in the next 20 years. So in your opinion, how can how does that intersection work for Western Riverside growth and technology? What does that look like? And in your opinion, how do we best prepare for that growth with all these technological advancements coming on the horizon? Well, I think it starts with a plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, not necessarily a strategic plan, but perhaps a strategic roadmap. Mm-hmm. We need to have each city should focus on what they believe are their individual needs, but it should really work its way up into more of a WR COG uh, overall blueprint or maybe something working in conjunction with the County of Riverside because I know uh, there's interest there as well. Uh, But it's really planning and having a plan and then working that plan. I mean, there's cities that we've done work for where they didn't have a plan and now they do, and it's ingrained in the way they do business day in and day out. And just by having a smart city connected community mm-hmm. mantra, if you will, uh, they're able to make decisions, whether it's new building permits or how they process those, to synchronizing traffic lights, mm-hmm. to making sure that fiber is in the ground, mm-hmm. all of those things when they're when new development comes along that serves those constituents. Mm-hmm. It's making wireless technology available to the carriers uh, and taking advantage of the fiber that they have in the ground mm-hmm. and perhaps saying, okay, yeah, we'll give you access to our streetlights if you let us use some of your fiber because now I can save money by not having to pay some carrier mm-hmm. to move my data between the firehouses mm-hmm. or between City Hall and the firehouses or the you know, the, the police substations or the mm-hmm. sheriff substations. So all of that becomes part of an overall concentric plan. So for me, I would say... Uh, the larger cities certainly are going to want to do what they can to have their own plan. Uh, the region, whether it be led by the county or WR COG or a combination, uh, should then band together uh, and bring all those plans under one roof with the idea of what can we do to make Western Riverside and, frankly, you know, the, the areas that are important for us the most connected, smart community as possible. That's the vision for the future. The vision is to figure out what can we do that we're all rowing in the same direction, Mm -hmm. that we're doing what we can. And I I didn't even get into the specifics of of some of the many bells and whistles that smart, connected communities can bring. But I'll give you just two. (laughs) give you two. Uh, Video at all of the traffic intersections, invaluable for accident reconstruction, Mm -hmm. certainly while we still have human drivers. Um, 
but also being able to see that, uh, the ability for a police officer uh, to play back that video right from their PDA or their smartphone, the ability at night for an officer to access a traffic intersection and turn the LED lighting at that intersection up from, say, the energy saving levels to full brightness mm -hmm. for, for accident investigation purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, those are the kind of things that a smart city brings to the table mm -hmm. uh, that we don't have as easily today mm -hmm. than where we can go tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. And I think that really co-aligns with what WRCOG really is about, which is connecting our communities so that we are stronger and so that we're able to be more effective and streamline processes. And so um, that's really insightful for you to share. Um, but thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. Do You're you have welcome. any final remarks before we sign off? Well, I'm just going to say for anybody that's listened this far, thank you. <laughs> uh, it means that uh, you're probably much more of an evangelist than most others. And <laughs> just understand that uh, as long as we can sit together and plan, hmm. uh, we know that everything will be better than if we don't plan. Yeah. I won't go through the old soliloquies of those who fail to plan, but I think we know <laughs> what they are. And in our case here, we believe that the proper planning will in fact yield much better results. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. The Western Riverside Council of Governments, also known as WRCOG, exists to unify the Western Riverside County so that it can speak with a collective voice on important issues that affect its members. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit us at www.wrcog.us.